Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So we're going to go in three, two, one. Lions Lounge Lockdown, episode eight. Mark McGee. Mark, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm a bit disappointed about number eight right enough, but... Uh... <laughs> Well, you got to me eventually. Well, I've been trying to... Joe, we owe Joe Dolan a drink for tracking you down. Well, I'll do anyway. And um, I've been having a bit of a meltdown personally over the last three weeks because is he going to ring me? Is he not going to ring me? But I've, I've got you in the end, mate. So you would have been a little bit higher up the pecking order. But um, okay. we got there in the end. Okay, good. I'm here. You joined the club in September 2000. So just a month after the season started. For those yeah. who don't know, you previously managed Reading... Wolves and Leicester. Um, how did you come about joining the club? Was you approached? Did you apply? No, uh, I certainly wasn't approached. Um, I mean, what had happened really was, you know, I'd had that kind of, uh, sort of fairly meteoric rise from uh, Reading, um, you know, having uh, been successful there to Leicester, but I only stayed a year. And then I was poached by Wolves. You know, I was kind of talked out of Leicester really by... Um, in essence, by Sir Alec, you know, who persuaded me that, you know, Wolves was a bigger opportunity at the time than than, than Leicester, and I, much against my sort of better judgment in a sense, I left Leicester, I walked out, and I went to Wolves, and I had three and a half years at Wolves, which was fantastic, you know, regardless of my feelings about having left Leicester and still have, you know, uh, the sort of guilt about that, that I still carry. Um, I had three and a half fantastic years, playoffs against Palace, semi-final of the FA Cup against Arsenal, um, nearly got promoted, you know, but, you know, but didn't quite make it. Then uh, I left Wolves, I was sacked at Wolves, the politics and everything changed and it was uh, difficult towards the end, but... Um, it then sent me, it put me in my back foot a little bit because, mm. you know, at that point I thought I was only on one trajectory and that was up. And then when I, when I left Wolves, that kind of derailed Put you on defensive a little bit. Yeah, well, it kind of just took the window of my sails a wee bit and, in a sense, I suppose, knocked my confidence. 
So I kind of uh, took a bit of a while to even get it in my head that I, I wanted to go back in. Um, so it was actually 20 months before I eventually went to Millwall. So I took my time in getting uh, my head around uh, getting another job. And then one day, uh, at the time, uh, the agent, Phil Smith, who I was doing a bit of stuff with, and who at that time, to be fair to him, had kept, you know, kept me going and kept believing in me and kept telling me that, you know, there's another job coming sort of thing, you know. And he phoned me one day and he said, look, how do you fancy Millwall? But out of the blue, really. And I said, well, you know, I thought about it. And, you know, when I thought about it, one of the things that attracted me to Millwall is that I've played for, you know, clubs like Newcastle, Celtic, even Hamburg, people that don't know Hamburg. Hamburg are a very um, militant club, if you like. There's a, there's a lot about Hamburg that's got a lot about them, you know. So, yeah, yeah. You know, there's a lot going on in places like that. And if you, you know, those that know Newcastle, what it's like, you know, being a, a, you know, the supporters and, you know, you've seen what it's like to play for Newcastle. It's something else. And of course, Celtic. You know, playing for Celtic is just unbelievable, you know. So I'd always been places where there was interest, if you like, you know, <laughs> other than just simply what was happening at pitch. The clubs had something about them. And when I, when I thought about Millwall, I thought, well, OK, they're not, it's not Newcastle, it's not Celtic, it's not as big, but they've still got that edge. You know, they've got that edge. Mm. That, in a sense, I felt would compensate me for the stature of the club at the time, you know, rather than thinking that I should still be think, you still be, um, have ambitions to be going to a Premier League club again, you know, like I did with Leicester. Um, I had to kind of, in a sense, accept where I was at that point. And, you know, the bonus was that this was a club who were, were better than decent, um, but did have a, a, a kind of, you know, a danger about them, if you like, that I quite liked, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. So when it was suggested, I took overnight and I said to Phil, yeah, yep, I, I, would, I would be interested, you know. So what happened then was Phil, Phil Smith knew Theo and uh, phoned Theo and th- said to Theo, look, Theo, what about Mark McGee? And Theo had said, well, look, Phil, to be fair, I've got a short list. I'm working through my short list and I don't really need any more names. So thanks, but no thanks. And then to be fair to Phil, basically what happened then was Phil Badger Theo for the next week and Theo still hadn't appointed a manager so he just kept banging in his door and banging in his door and Theo just kept bang, backing him away I bet, you, I bet you know what that feels like to me do you know I kept ringing you? Yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's business we're all in I'm afraid in football you don't always get your calls answered I'm thinking <laughs> in the business I'm in now with football and money it's hard work but um, eventually I think he just beat him into submission, and uh, Theo said to Phil, right, okay, I'll tell you what I'll do, uh, tell me, come up to the office up at Slough, you know, the, 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 the Ryman's office up there, and I'll give him an hour, this was on a Thursday night, and uh, Thursday night before the Rotherham game, remember, uh, that was, I took over after that game, um, and what happened, was uh, I went in. I went in to see Theo, and him and I. I mean, we just absolutely were on the same track from the very beginning. So I ended up in there for about over three hours, 
talking through everything, talking through every aspect of it. And uh, there was an awful lot about him I really liked. And I think clearly there was a lot about what I had to say and how I was, my attitude towards it, that he liked. So he said to me, well, look, I tell you what you do, come to the game on Saturday. Don't tell anybody, come under the radar. Don't make a big show, just buy your own tickets. <laughs> no surprise, surprise. <laughs> uh, pay, pay your own way in. Bring uh, your family. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> spend money in the kiosk. <laughs> um, come, come in the game, you know. So um, that is exactly what happened. I came along with my friend Bill, who was always with me everywhere I went at that time. Bill Henderson and uh, him and I went along and we saw them beat Oh, uh, Rotherham, I think it was 4 nothing. I think it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, on a Saturday night after the game, an hour or two after the game, he phoned me and said, what do you think? And I always remember saying, I said, I don't think you need a manager. <laughs> you know, they had won 4 nothing, however it was, you know, and they looked to me decent, you know. So, of course, I was quite excited by that. And I have to say, you know, going back to the meeting on the Thursday night, I kind of I felt as if I had it in the bag. You know, I felt as if I was going to get the job, you know. Um, I'm not quite sure what Neil still had to kind of rationalise in his own head, but he has other people, of course, to consult and respect, you know, the board and people mm. sort of advise as to what he was thinking before he could give it, you know, ratify it. But anyway, on a Saturday night, he phoned me, what do you think? And I told him what I thought. And he said, right, OK. He said, look, he says, I'll phone you in the morning. So he phoned me in the morning and he said, to Sunday morning, he said to me, right, OK, the job's yours if you want it. So, of course... As we say, the rest is history and uh, I came into the club. You mentioned him earlier, for the younger viewers that may not know, he was a, a very good centre forward, played and won domestic and European Cup Winners' Cup with Aberdeen beating Real Madrid in the final um, under Sir Alex Ferguson as your manager. Yeah. You, you just mentioned him there, you said you took some advice off him about leaving, um, leaving Leicester for Wolves. What did Sir Alex make of your decision to... Sure, Millwall. Did you did you let him know? Well, it, it, what had happened was, you know, up until the point where I left Wolves, really, and even before I left Wolves, Sir Alec and I's uh, uh, relationship had kind of broken down a little bit. Okay. But up to that point, he had been there at every turn and every instance to help me and to advise me and to to assist me in any way he could. I mean, he's, he, he's helped me in that early part from. You know, getting the Reading job, he helped me into the Reading job in the sense that he phoned John Medeski and told him that he should advise them, not told them, advised them that he, he would be uh, good to interview me for the job. And of course, I had never been a player, I'd been a, a manager, I'd been a player at Newcastle the season before. Right. Um, I was in Sweden getting a few games because I'd been injured at the end of that season. I went to Sweden to play some football. So I'd got a phone call to come back from him and say, look, you know, have a go for the Reading job. So, Eventually, I got the Reading job, and he'd been a huge help to me, and he was, he was there for me all the time. Then, at Wolves, whatever happened, his and I relationship kind of derailed a little bit. Um, so, when I went to Millwall, by that time, I was standing on my, absolutely on my own two feet. Purely mm-hmm. my decision, he wasn't involved in it and had no no input. So, um, I, I don't know what he would have thought of that. You know? <laughs> you've had a little bit of a falling out of it, and then he's probably looked, seen you've got a middle job in the paper, and thought he's finally lost it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's just as he absolutely probably thought, yeah, right, that's exactly what Oh, mate, what was your first impressions coming into the club, the, 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 the set-up, the players? Well, um, you know, 
one of the things I've I've, I've done at that time, um, certainly since you know from that point, was um, I didn't take anyone with me. You know, I went on my own. I didn't bring a big crew with me. Mm. You know, you know they say you've got your, your people who watch your back and all that. I, I'm not a believer in that. You know, I don't believe in that. I've went to clubs. You know, Millwall. I went to you know Brighton, Motherwell, other clubs. Um, with no staff, and I've inherited the staff that are there, and mm. 99.9999% of the time, they've turned out to be different class. You know, so the first thing I discovered when I when I got there was the quality of my my staff. Mm. You know, Steve Grit, who was a the most conscientious, uh, committed guy. Um, you know that you could want as an assistant with the mentality of an assistant, not someone who was trying to take your job, but someone who was trying to make you the best manager you could be. And then, of course, we had the great Ray Harford, you know, as as a back a coach, you know. Um, and you know, him and I struck up a rapport immediately. You know, Ray was a fantastic guy uh, before he was even a brilliant coach. You know, so uh, him and I had a lot in common. You know, Burgundy. Uh, that sort of thing. So um, we 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 love the same things, and uh, you know, first and foremost, Jerry Docher, you know, Roy Putt, who, funny enough, the kit man. You know, obviously, your younger viewers won't know Putty, but Putty was a fixture at the time and a, a feature. And I spoke to him yesterday, you know, during lockdown, just to make sure he's okay. I still speak St George's Day. I used to always one of the things I used to do when I was at Millwall was. Um, party with all these taxi cab driving mates from Bermondsey would go on a pub crawl on St George's Day, which of course was yesterday. Or was it yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, other day before I can't remember the days are running in each other. You know. <laughs> um, I would go on a pub crawl with the, with the guys and have a great time. They'd make me eat jelly deals and all that rubbish, you know. And uh, <laughs> I'd be put through the mill, you know. So, um, I had had like a party, and as I say, Jerry. And, you know, importantly, really, really importantly, um, Theo Pafias. So the club itself, the the infrastructure, the training ground was more than adequate. It was good. Um, It was out of the way a little bit. It was a nice part, you know, over over in, uh, you know, uh, Beckham where I went. And, you know, it was all set up. It was all set up. And then, of course, First and foremost, the players. Mm. So what I discovered was a right good set of players. I'd seen that in that game I watched. But I had a, a right good set of players in terms of ability. And I had a right good set of players in terms of um, willingness, not only to work, but to learn. And, you know, as a manager, you go in and that's your mission is to try and give them something, trying to improve them, mm. uh, individuals and as a group, you know. So... Um, with, with, with Gritty and Ray and myself and Jerry and, and the players' attitude, we had a chance. Yeah. I, I was going to ask another thing. You know, sometimes a manager will come into a struggling club. To you, you come into a club that was pretty much doing quite well in, in similar terms of when Gary Rowett took over from Neil Harris recently. You know, if you're, if you're a manager, you go into a, a, a club that's not doing very well. You've only got to get a couple of wins to sort of get the ball rolling again. But you'd walked into a club that had been at... Uh, you know, the Wembley the previous season um, with a good group. So did you feel more pressure? Like, you know, we're already a club, ex- you know, in expectation almost. 
Not really. You know, I had no fears about any of that. You know, about wherever I went. You know, I'd went mm. into the Premier League with Leicester. I had taken on Wolves, a huge club. Um, you know, and, and remember, part of my conditioning really is about where I played. You know, having played at Newcastle and Celtic and, and mm. now you cannot you're ready for anything, you know, almost. Yeah. So, no, I, I, I had no fear of that. Uh, it was, it's a slightly different situation. You're absolutely right in going in when, you know, you're going in to start, you know, when I went into Wolves, for instance, Wolves were uh, 20th in mm. the, um, the, the, the championship and were staring uh, relegation in the face. So the first thing to do before you done in was to keep them up. And, you know, that's tough, you know. So it's a slightly different tough, you know, when you're towards the other end of the table. It's not quite as is uh, agonising, you know, it's uh, it's it's a different a different ask. So going in when I did, really, you know, Theo, in a sense, was proved right in the sense of getting rid of the boys. Mm-hmm. Um, now, who's to say if the two lads had stayed, maybe they'd have done what I'd done, they'd improved, they'd have, they'd have got to the, the, the playoffs or they'd have got promotion. We don't know. But Theo made a judgment that he felt that they were slightly underachieving and that he was looking at it and he saw the potential in the squad that eventually showed you mm. know so in that respect you can't argue with that decision um and when i went in there yeah i had to find not you know the difference between 20th and and first you know i didn't have to find 20 places really i had to find three or four places and make sure we go on the playoffs as it was we found eight or nine places and ended up top, you know, so that mm-hmm. was maybe better than even I had hoped, but, um, and maybe even, probably even better than Theo had hoped, but um, it was, you're right, it was a slightly different um, ask. The players spoke very highly of you, as I said to you off camera, um, to the point everyone's saying you've got to get Mark McGee on, because uh, Paul Eiffel especially was, was full of praise for you, and, and, and they seem to have this thing where they said, you know, McGee's come in, he stopped the drinking mentality and the conditioning was a big thing, the diet was a big thing. So you would have been like one of the sort of early practitioners of that sort of thing back back then, it's like 20 years ago. Again, you know, uh, I had huge support from Theo and that, you know, he was into it. He, he, um, he, he allowed me to bring in people that were experts that could give us a lot of, of advice on mm-hmm. conditioning and uh, we, we improved all of that. Um, I wasn't quite sure that I'd managed to point <laughs> you the drinking culture. I think that's I think that's throwing you a wee red herring there. That's uh, I'm not sure about that, but um, certainly uh, we we worked on those things. I mean, the transformation and the physically and uh, uh, some of the boys. I mean, an example, Big Joe, even, but um, uh, Richard Sadlier. You know, he was the first that we really um, uh, put on a program of with a gym and diet and all that. And we did that in something like the March. So that would have been the March um, where we got promoted, I think. And by the time he came back in the summer, you know, it looked like a different animal you know I, I, I don't know if, you know for to liken it to probably what I saw happen with Gareth Bale you know I watched Gareth Bale when I was with the Scotland team I was watching a lot of Wales I was watching a lot of Welsh players so um, I watched Gareth Bale during the period where he developed it to Tottenham 
and he, he went from being a kind of round shouldered big young gangly athlete to mm. being you know sculpted you know the back of his neck you know the one you know chiseled yeah he's and, a big lump exactly and that's what happened with sad sad's come back in the summer oh my god he was an animal you know he looked four or five inches tall he was tall anyway you know but he came back and he was he looked you know such stature you know and such strength and that was he was only one of them so we we did start to work hard on on, on those things but you know i was lucky because Steele got me some some help in that and uh, became a, a feature of our teams that we we were fit that was for sure mm. You said uh, we said that you um, we had a lot of good players. First impressions going into that squad was there. I mean, I know that others some did kick on. Was there any in particular you thought, yeah, he's going to be, he's going to be something special this one? Well, Sads was, you know, I, I you know, I, I've heard some of the other boys, you know, over the years talk about Sads because of the you know, the tragedy that it was, mm. or that um, they got injured. But, you know, I cannot uh, underestimate how high I think he could have went. I, I don't think there's any limit to how far Sads could have went. He was six feet five or whatever he is, you know. Um, he could run, he could jump, um, he could finish, he could head it, um, he could control the ball, he had, he had that sublime touch. I used to I used to tell people about it. I used to see Terry Henry do it, where the ball comes in and they just kind of kill it with the sole of their foot. You know, it's that little cushion. You know, they don't mm. the inside of their foot or, you know, the top of their foot or let it come into them. It's a little kind of soft kind of touch of the ball just to place it in front. And he had all that subtle... For a big man, he had all that subtlety, you know. And... Of course, I mean, I can't remember how many goals he'd scored up to the point he got injured. I think it was about 17 or something like that. Mm. And I'm convinced that if Sads had stayed fit, we'd have went in the Premier League. You know, we would have. We would have mm. Premier League. But um, I think he was the outstanding one. But, you know, others that, you know, you looked at, I mean, I, I, I was a great fan of uh, Lucas Neal right from the beginning. You know, him and Theo and I used to have kind of, not arguments, because I think the only he was a good player, but he had his doubts about certain aspects of his play and what position he should play, that sort of thing. But I always liked Lucas as a player. Timmy, without saying, uh, you know, was a, was a terrific player um, and went on and proved that by the level he went to and the, the success he had. Mm. It was amazing. Um, but there was others as well. I mean, there was ones that, you know, had nothing to prove and that, you know, I didn't really do much other than fitting them into the team. And, you know, the classic would be Chopper. You know, Chopper's a goal scorer, you know, and, and a finisher, you know, an instinctive finisher and, you know, took the ball early and, you know, he, he was just a, a, you know, I'd been around as a player, you know, played with good players. I mean, I played at Celtic, you know, when I went to Celtic, our four strikers were, um, Morris Johnson, Alan McAnally, Brian McClare and myself, you know. Um, I played with, uh, you know, uh, Frank McAvaney. I played with the best, I think the best striker I ever played with was, was Steve Archibald, who went from Aberdeen to Toronto to Barcelona. I think Stevie was the best striker I ever actually partnered. Mm. Um, but Chopper was as good a finisher. If... Mm. 
he didn't upset me other aspects of his, his game that managed to take him to the very top level. But at the level he played at, he was a master. You know, he was a brilliant. Yeah, so he walked into he walked into a very good squad. You just pushed it to that next level, a little bit um, more focused, a little bit more football. Did you add to the squad at all in that first season? Did you bring anyone in? Um, I think Claridge came in, didn't he? Claridge came in on, on loan towards the end, didn't he? Yeah. You yeah. Saw, so you did sign some good season pros. Um, Steve Claridge, Dion Dublin, obviously, later on. Dennis Wise, the man who obviously ended up eventually replacing you. But Well, oh, um, you know, Steve, uh, and you mentioned two players there. There's slightly different circumstances, but Stephen, uh, Steve Claridge and uh, Dennis Wise are probably the two fittest players I've ever worked with. Mm. Unbelievable. Unbelievable level of fitness. But but Steve, as you know, and everyone laughs about it, you know, the way he looked and the way he looked so dishevelled and that, but he, that was an absolute illusion. You know, absolutely super fit guy. And again, what a good player! Talk about somebody to hold the ball up. You know, he was he, he was a brilliant player. He really was. Um, uh, so yeah, he contributed a lot. Dennis came later. Um, uh, we brought in uh, Daichi, and we brought in Darren Ward, and that eventually. Um, God, it's hard to remember the ones we others brought in. But in that early period, um, I think that's testimony to the squad I inherited because we didn't yeah. really do much. What was the first impressions for you at the den with the fans and the? Well, you know, I went there as I say, and I was up for a challenge, you know. And people said to me, "Oh my God, they're hostile and they're this and that." And I, I just, I just kind of uh, winged it in a sense. I kind of bossed it. You know, I kind of stood up and sort of, you know, challenged them to challenge me, sort of thing, you know. And of course, had they done it, I'd run a mile. But you know, it was a was like, you know, Mill, well, I'm from Glasgow, sort of thing, you know, and you know, and just fronted it, you know, and hoped that they would buy it. You know, <laughs> I got away with that. I always felt as if I had a, a, a really good rapport with the supporters, and you know, to this day, I go by there and I get so well received, you know. So mm. I have no issues up until the day I left. I had no issues, you know. So um, no, I, I, I. I went there, as I said, already because I felt as if they were a club that had an edge. And I felt as if I could harness that edge to make the difference. And in a sense, that's what I tried to do. Mm. I didn't buy it. I tried to control it a wee bit, but I certainly engaged that kind of, you know, uh, nobody likes us, you know, go and eat worms or something. You know, we, 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 we used that, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a catalyst to kind of greater effort, as it were. Yeah, sort of to forge your sort of um, yeah. impressions on and crack on. On match days, you ca- so you come in, there was never really a bad time for you at the club, ever, even when you left. So you come in, yeah. we go on a run, we win the league. What was, what was your sort of pre-match? I, I know every game's different, but did you get to a point where you didn't really have to G the players up? It was just sort of, just keep going, boy, just keep it going as it is. No, I think, uh, I think... One of the things about that group of players, and you mentioned a few of them already, even Sad, who got injured, but there, were, there, was a, there was a group among them, certainly, that were really ambitious. You know, really ambitious, and they wanted more, and they wanted better, and they wanted bigger. You know, so, in a sense, that was kept them focused. You know, when we were going for promotion, suddenly it went from, we might get 
in the playoffs to oh, looks like we're going to get in the playoffs to oh, we've got a chance of winning it, you know. And there was no doubt in anybody's mind that the determination wasn't it. They weren't satisfied with just getting promotion. They wanted to win it. Mm. So all we did was feed that. We kept them buoyant. We kept them fit. We kept we rested them when they needed rested. We didn't, you know, overdo it. We didn't get too excited. We kind of kept a lid in it a wee bit. I spoke a lot about when we were in the next division, when we were up there, when we were, you know, in a sense, almost, you know, kind of confirm for them with, without it. Without having got there, you know, it, it wasn't, just implanting it in their mind, but that's what's going to happen. It wasn't overconfidence or arrogance or anything like that. It was just a kind of way to try and, try and get them to think at another level, you know, that mm. we're going to do this job and we're going to do it well, we're going to get promoted. But beyond that, there's another level which we've got to start preparing for now, you know. So I was saying to them about that, I was saying, you know, this next year we could be playing, you know, West Ham or we could be playing you know, Crystal Palace, or, you know, we could have played Leeds, you know. So, mm. you know, whatever you think you've done here today, you know, whatever great you, you think you've been, you know, it's only, you know, half the way of what you're going to have to do in three months' time or four or five months' time, you know. So, you know, that way of kind of keeping a kind of lid on how they viewed the success they were having mm. and keeping them looking at what was possible, you know. So it was a kind of double whammy. Yeah, well, so we kicked on that season. We was there or thereabouts, but a lot of um, a few of the players have come on have credited sort of the Cambridge game where they really thought, yeah, this is we've arrived here. You know, we're gonna we're gonna kick on here. And I say in, in particular, Paul Eiffel has been very complimentary to you. He, he seemed he had sort the of game, he got a hat trick. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, and he said he said he came in at the end. He said, and he was very um, thankful to, for you to keep keep uh, to keep. Confidence in him and keep playing him because he was terrible. But he said, "You said to him, no, look, you, you know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen." He said, and that was a day you felt like he really sort of arrived, and that was all thanks to you. What was he like, Paul, to coach and manage? Well, uh, I remember having conversations with Theo, and Theo said to me, "You know, because you, you, you could see his raw ability. I mean, his pace, his strength. His, I mean, he run the ball up the field for you, you know. And it's such an important thing to get you up the field. You do it two ways. You get up to the centre forward." Or maybe more than two weeks these days. Of course, you pass the ball up there. <laughs> get the, you get the ball up to the centre forward and carriage, and he keeps it there. You know until the rest of you arrive, or you've got somebody like Ive who carries it there for you, and the rest of the team arrives. You know, so Ive was brilliant at running the ball up the field and getting you out. You know, but he was erratic. He was inconsistent in his um, decision making, um, his crossing, and his finishing. Um, he would switch off sometimes when he needed to be running back and he had to remind him to run the other way. <coughs> like so many strikers, myself, you don't like running back, but you've got to do it. <laughs> and some of the time, and some of the time he didn't, and he would be frustrating and he would annoy you. And Theo used to say to me, can you not, you know, can you not teach him? Can you not coach him? And, and I used to say, no. I say, but what you do with a player like I, he's, he's almost uncoachable. You know, you get players, you know, if I, if I if I were to invite, you know, the guy who's Ife's coach or PE teacher at his school in Brighton when he was 14 and said to him, look, come and watch him today, he would say he's the exact same as he was when he was 14. And that's the way he stayed. So he did the same things, he made the same mistakes throughout his career. 
So what you have to do with a player like that is you have to uh, just use his strengths, use his good points, and not worry about the the, the stuff he can do. You know, so don't mm. in the team and say do something he can do. You know, don't be surprised when he can do something that you know before the ball's kicked he can do. But <laughs> what you do get the best out of what he can do, and you utilize that to the team's advantage. You know, so. In a sense, that's what we did. We we allowed him certain uh, leeway in certain things, and we forgave him for a lot because we knew that uh, there was a lot that he was doing that was valuable to the team. Mm. And sometimes the punters couldn't see that, and sometimes even maybe I couldn't see that. And I have to say, a lot of the time, maybe Theo couldn't see it. But you know, I I, I felt a lot of the time there was there was um, there was value and. You know what I could bring to the team. You know, mm. on the other wing, Christoph Kinney. Did you sign Christoph for the club? Yeah, I kind of remember actually. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that. <laughs> I think. I, I, trust me, I'm not very good at these sort of things. You know. No, um, I, I, well, he came in in 2000 to the club. Yeah, well, it was 2000. Uh, I came, wasn't it? Um, yeah. So whether he arrived at the same time as me, before me, or just after me, I, I'll be honest. I think maybe maybe I did sign him. I think maybe he did come. Or was he there when I got there? No, I think he was there when I got there. Oh, okay. Regardless, he was um, ephemeral. You know, he was he was he he, he 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 flitted in and out, but he had that ability again. You know, one of the things we all know about wingers, you know, whether they're Ives type of wingers or whether they're Christoph type of wingers, is that they're kind of a little bit inconsistent. And they're mm. a little bit. You know, I don't know. If, uh, you, you know, you don't always know what to expect. They don't always make good decisions, but they are the players that uh, can unlock it for you as well. You know, and I think you know, certainly in the modern game. You know, I know that. You know, you see all these teams that pass the ball. They're brilliant. You know, the passing of the ball in the Premier League these days is exceptional. But the best teams are the ones, still the ones who have got the guy that can beat you. You know, mm-hmm. because when you're in a when you pass the ball into a corner most of the lesser teams end up giving it away because they try a pass that's not on or they, they kind of get out of there. Whereas, you know, your Man City's now have got half a dozen players that then just beat you, you know. And that's what you need. And even when you're a team that passed the ball, you need somebody that can beat you to unlock it and to keep it going, to keep it passing. And Christoph was good at that. Christoph could could get you out of the par, but he was slightly different from I. If he could play in two directions, you know. So Christoph would check back and we'd join in a little bit and we'd combine. Whereas, you know, our eye only went in one direction and that was forward, you know. To the touchline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you ran into Bernsey Station or whatever, you know. <laughs> uh, but that's what he was like. Whereas Christoph was a bit more, had a bit more about his feet, you know. He had good yeah. feet. He had a bit of trickery about him. And he was, he, you know, he's one of these players you want to be in their team. You want him to play well and you want him to do well because he's a great entertainer, you know. Mm. Uh, and, you know, again, you know, what a lovely lad, you know, my great lad and part of the squad and, you know, did, did well at times, as, as wingers do. Mm. Say, good lad, a lot of the boys from that time, I mean, I think I've, I resonate with them a bit because they're the same sort of age as me. What was that like for you being the manager? One of them to have team spirit, but at times, you know, trying to keep a little bit of a little niche, you know what I'm getting out of hand, do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I mean, I think you... Uh, you know, I, I, I uh, 
learned, you know, I changed, I've changed as a manager from day one to now, or, you know, over the, the years in terms of what I think's right and what I think's wrong. And there was times when I allowed things that I wouldn't allow later, and, you know, that uh, you, you sort of evolve yourself as a manager. But it mostly what you need is you need a group of players that, in a sense, kind of police themselves. Mm. If you've got to be policing your, your squad and checking on them and running after them and weighing them and fining them and you know I, I I've never found a, a player in my life I don't believe in you know? um you just make sure that uh, you you either educate them if they're young players or that you um that that do it right that they Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. No, and when you've got, regardless of whether a player likes a beer or not, when you've got players like Tammy Cahill and Lucas and, uh, and, and Sads and Chopper who wanted to play at as high level as he could, when they all are as ambitious as they are and as determined as they are, they will do a certain amount of the policing of the dressing room themselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can entrust that, you know, there's a lot being seen to that you don't hear about and that you don't have to worry about because they're doing it. And that's what you need. You need a lot of that because you just can't be on top of it all. Mm, well, my question was going to be, who was in your office the most? <laughs> Getting bollocking. So by the sound of it, <laughs> it wasn't too bad. No. <laughs> well, um... Uh, I'm trying to think, up, upstairs in that office in the um, uh, in the training ground upstairs there. Quite often, you know, the hardest players to manage for any manager are the ones who aren't playing. Yeah. You know, not the ones who are playing. The ones who are playing pff, look after themselves. You know, they think you're the best thing since sliced bread. If they're in the team, you're the best manager they've ever had. You know, 
they're not in the team they're the biggest dick they've ever had you know mm. and that, that is the, the way of it so the guys that you get in the dressing room would have been people like Christophe and I who maybe didn't play every week and who would look for an explanation as to why they weren't playing you know people like uh, you know I would have uh, Tony Craig and Robbie Ryan and one week it would be Tony and one week it would be Robbie and therefore on this Monday the other one would be up in the room why was that all playing and all you can hope, all you can hope is you get one on a Saturday, and then you can say, well, you know. And and I always used anecdotal stuff as well. But, I mean, I remember playing against Celtic at Parkhead one day and beating Celtic three nothing, and uh, with Aberdeen, and uh, Eric Black, who played alongside me at Aberdeen, um, scored a hat trick. The following Saturday, we were playing Dundee, and Alec Ferguson left them out. So of course, you know. I mean, we were always amazed as, as you know, yeah. he's got a, a hat trick at Celtic Park. I mean, no Aberdeen player in the history had ever scored a hat trick. <laughs> so, of course, Monday morning, Eric straight in, you know, how come I'm left out? And Fergie's answer as well. And we beat Dundee, of course, you know. And Fergie's answer as well. Last week I picked a team to beat Celtic. This team, this week I picked a team to beat Dundee. Mm. And we did. So, Who's right? Who's wrong? You can't, there's no argument. You know I mean? Yeah, we won the game, so Eric just had to. Be, so it was a little bit like that with Robbie. I used to sort of try and, you know, uh, cajole him a wee bit. And, you know, I said, well, you know, they, they, they had a player who was a bit quicker. And I thought Tony was right, and next week it'll be you. And so that's what a manager is. You know, that's yeah. what I'm, you know. But it's mostly the guys who aren't playing that you have to manage. How did you deal with? In a different sense, slightly two very good players. We've mentioned one, Richard Sadlier, but Big Joe, Joe Dolan as well. Two very young, talented players at the club um, that kept suffering with injuries. And, and you know, how, how, what was your role in that? Did you was you quite involved? Yeah, hands- yeah you, you've got to be, you've got to stay close to these boys. You know that um, you know Joe had you know horrendous time with injuries, and you know, and affected and absolutely no doubt affected his you know, level that he got to or the games that he played and the, 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 the success he would have had. You know, he did everything in terms of his, you know, what you want in a centre-half, you know, his size and his aggression and his attitude and his determination. He had, he had all of that, you know, and it was undermined constantly by injury. So, really, all you can do is support them, be there for them, not, you know, when they get injured, you know, leave them to somebody else. you just got to show them a bit of kind of um, empathy and, uh, and and talk to them. You know, communication. It's all mm-hmm. about communication. I'm knowing that I've not forgotten about them. Saz, yeah. I mean, Saz went up to see experts on Cambridge and stuff, and I went with them. You know, I went to all these appointments and sat with them at these appointments to to hear what was saying. It was a bit of self interest as well, of course, because I wanted them back. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was also about, you know, supporting the lad himself. You know, while at the point where Sads had got injured, you know, we'd been offered a pile of money for Sads. You know, we'd been offered something like seven million or something like that, you know. Mm. Uh, you know, and, you know, he'd a wee bit of wind of that. So imagine how he was feeling, you know, that a lifetime opportunity to go to, you know, the higher league and that, you know, and he was possibly going to miss it. At that time, he probably only thought it was going to be delayed. But, of course, it ended up being... You know, terminal. Yes, it was such a shame. But before we get to that point, obviously, Oldham, last game of the season, need to win to win the league. We win 5 0. What's your memories of that of that day? Oh. I mean, 
Uh, one of my biggest memories is that, uh, you know, while the boys were doing the lap of honour, the um, stage and all that was dismantled. And when I was driving into London, I was going out, I was going to Annabelle's that night with some friends to celebrate. And uh, as we drove down uh, Old Kent Road, there was the stage reassembled outside a pub. You know, <laughs> I mean, it was brilliant. You know, so one of my mates went, "Look, look, this." You know, <laughs> we were in the lap of honour, they tore it apart. You know, and at the nationwide sign, you know, and they were or somewhere like that. I can't remember exactly which pub it was, but. There it was, rebuilt, and uh, the punters on there having a celebration. You know, it was a it was an absolutely magnificent day. You know, it's you know the end of the season for the boys. It's justification for Theo. Um, you know, they've got the summer coming. When you finish the season, there's always a bit of a kind of relief and a bit of a kind of you know looking forward to the summer. But when you've been promoted, and you've got something like the championship to look forward to the following season then it's mm. you know we sort of mentioned him slightly Theo Pafetis did you have a good relationship with Theo throughout and once we got promoted what did you say to him what you know what was your ambitions for the following season did you say Theo I want a little bit of dough to bring this you know, x y and z in yeah well this is this is an important time actually and and, and what happened then I mean Theo I mean I, I've been lucky you know, as a, as a manager, I had, you know, um, John Medeski at um, Reading, brilliant guy, absolutely brilliant guy, worked great with him, he was a friend, and we worked very, very closely, you know, socialised, you know, he was my first chairman, I was his first manager, so, well, kind of really was his first manager, certainly his appointment, and uh, we worked very closely together, Um I mean, I don't have a, in my lounge through there, I don't have a lot of pictures on the wall, but I have two, one of me and John Medeski and one of me and Theo, you know, um, and uh, I treasure them. But um, I had other great chairmen, you know, Mark George done everything for me, even in a, a short term, it lasted in a year. Uh, Jonathan Hayward, you know, Dick Knight uh, here at uh, Brighton. Um, John Boyle at Motherwell. You know, I was so lucky to have the chairman I had. But, you know, like everything, in a scale of 1 to 10, there's somebody who stands out, you know. Mm -hmm. And for me, um, Theo just had something else um, that made him, you know, as I say, probably... um, the most effective chairman that I worked with. What what he did was he he challenged you. He wanted to he wanted you to have answers to questions. He had enough of knowledge about the game and certainly about his own players and his own club that you couldn't bluff him. You know you couldn't kid him. So um, unlike say John Medeski, for instance, John Medeski said to me when I when he gave me the job that he wanted me to teach him about football, they didn't mm. think about football, and that he was relying on me to show him the way in every aspect of it. Whereas Theo was experienced in it, and you know, you know, had a knowledge of it that meant that he could ask you legitimate questions that maybe John couldn't. Mm. So in that way, you had to be a bit more. I had to be a bit more um, transparent, if you like, and a bit more. 
and and uh, to be tolerate being scrutinised. Yeah. But he would phone you up and you know he would say phone me up on a Friday night and he would say what are you think tomorrow. And I would say, well, if I'd made, the, if I'd selected the team, because it was always maybe one or two that you, either an injury or just he mm. got Robbie Ryan, you know. Um, and what happened was, I used to, he used to phone me up and say, "What do you think tomorrow?" And I would tell him, and he would say, "Ah, oh, that sounds right," and that would mean that he agreed. And if he didn't agree with me, he would say, "Oh, well, you've always got subs." That was his way. <laughs> that was his way. Of saying, <laughs> You know, without actually saying it, I said, well, I'm not quite agreeing with that, you know. And he always told me who he didn't agree with me, and he didn't ever tell me, but I knew when he said that, that he wasn't, he wasn't thinking the same, but he never, ever interfered. Um, but he did challenge you, and he wanted you to have answers, and he wanted you to make decisions for good reason, you know. So you had to have a kind of rationale if somebody was playing or wasn't playing or the team was playing a certain way or you were doing a certain thing or you were training or not training or do 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 and you know a lot of managers find that difficult to tolerate they feel as if it's interference but you know Theo never interfered at all what he did he tried to be there he was very very supportive he was he was um, he, importantly he was there when maybe you had a bad result and then when you had a good result um, he, he left you alone Whereas a lot of other chairmen that in other clubs I've seen is that, you know, it's the opposite. You know, they'll, jump, they'll jump all over if you've oh, done well. Yeah, and if, you, if you're not, they can't handle it and therefore they keep out the road. So Theo was always there if you if you needed uh, uh, to speak to him or, or whatever. He was a brilliant chairman, absolutely brilliant chairman for me. And we worked very, very well together for 98% of the time we were there. Towards the end, it became a little bit more difficult and it was the right time for me to leave at that given everything that was going on. So when you got promoted and you say he challenged you on a few things and he was quite hands-on, did that give you the slack then to go, hang on, Theo, there you go, we've been promoted? Well, what happened then was we decided, um, we looked at the squad and we decided where we had to strengthen and we actually made a bid. We bid for two players and we bid a million pounds for two players for the two of them both from the same club, um, from Sheffield United. And this was, remember, to add to the squad that had been promoted. And we bid a million pounds for uh, the boy Tong. Who? Player, Tong. Michael Tong. Michael Tong. And, so, Phil, yeah, Phil. and Phil Jagielka. Jesus Christ. So they were the two players that we tried to buy. Oh, for, a com- for a combined, sorry, for a combined of one million? Yeah. So there's another person who I've not mentioned, actually, who is really, really important in all of this and who largely um, was responsible for the squad that I uh, inherited, and that was Bob Pearson, mm. chief scout at the time. Now, I've never worked with a scout anywhere that was as good as Bob. Bob was brilliant. You know, he knew a player. And importantly, he he he, he knew that his, his views on players were the same as mine. And Mines were the same as Theo, so in, in that respect, his views were the same as the chairman's, you know. But he was—he he had an eye for a player, and uh, him and I agreed. We went and watched them a couple of times, Sheffield United, and you know, you know, we liked both the players. They happened to be at the same club. There were two positions we wanted to strengthen in, mm. and uh, we made a bid of money. And then what happened was they said, "Well, no, they wanted a million and a half." One and a half million they wanted, and Theo was going to go to it. And then, if you remember, the, the ITV Digital 
fell apart and the money mm-hmm. was suddenly there was two million pounds taken out of the budget and uh, we we went we went back on you know signing them we never never went and got them and in a sense we went from being you know a club becoming a kind of buying club to a club that once again became a selling club because mm-hmm. they fetched you know so we 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 had we had we <clears throat> excuse me added those two to that squad I think we would uh, we would improved again you know oh, that's an absolute killer Phil Jagielka England international <laughs> yeah for those were the two that we tried to get. There, there's there the things like you don't you don't see you know this ITV digital has been mentioned a few times in these interviews and you know that getting dragged out, taken away from the club, can have an effect. And fans obviously may not have realised that. I don't think a lot of them realise we bid for Jag Elka either. No, well, I mean, we never spoke about it. You know, it's not mm. in uh, the scheme of things. You know, for another players to talk about another club's players. You know, in that. In yeah, that yeah. Um, you know, we just got on with it. You know, we couldn't do it. We didn't do it. You know. Yeah, yeah. We went, we went with pretty much what we had, and then we almost go back to back. The following season, you must have been buzzing. I mean, I'm still convinced that if Sides had stayed fit, we would have done. Mm. You know, if Sides had stayed fit, we would have done. We brought in Dion right near the end to take Sides' place, and Dion was brilliant. He was brilliant in the dressing room. He was brilliant on the pitch. He scored up at Birmingham, of course. He was a fantastic consummate professional, you know. And I knew I knew of Dion. I didn't know Dion well, but I knew of Dion from Gordon Strachan, you know, who had him in Coventry and knew him. So I knew the character of the boy, and I had no fears, therefore, I'd drop them into that environment. And, you know, some of the things that happened, you know, were towards the end of that season when, when, when uh, Dion was there, one of the things I do is I, 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 on a Saturday after two o'clock, I'll come out of the dressing room, I'll leave them for 10 minutes, I'll go back in, I'll speak to an individual or two, go back out, come back in, come back out, and just pick away at wee bits and pieces with individuals. And what I found with Dion, I'd go out, and I'd come back, he'd be saying what I was going to say. <laughs> you know, I'd come in and I'd go to go to whoever it was, I for whatever, I could see Dion talking to him. I'd talk to some of them, and you know, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. A manager's dream, you know, and and you know, uh, contributed a lot, but didn't quite get us promoted, you know. But I think if Sads had been fit and kept developing the way he was developing that season, um, mm. Sads would have only get thirty goals and would have got promoted. I don't think you would have had to rein the players in, knowing what they was like. They they would never have got above their station. What was your team talk? How was it different from League One, you know, expecting almost to get promoted? Now he was in the bigger league. Did you just keep things ticking over or did you say, look, you know, different different perspective now? Well, I mean, you, you don't know what it's going to be like, do you? You know, mm. you have to get started before you can measure where you are or you're hopeful. And, you know, I don't care what anybody says. You start a season where you've been promoted, hoping that you're not going to get relegated, you know. And it's only when you get going and you see yourself against the opposition, you think, well, well, actually, we're here, or we're here, or we're here, you know. Mm. Um, and suddenly, um, we realised that we had no fears. That's for sure. I'm not sure that near the beginning of the season that we imagined that we were going to have the season we did. But by Christmas, we did. Mm. You know, because, you know, people like uh, um, Sadsna had developed. Timmy was coming on. You know, 
we we had people who were becoming right good players, um, and and Daichi and you know with character, you know, um, Chopper and people like that, and you know we realised that we were going to do better than just stay up, but we never imagined maybe till Christmas that we'd a chance to do any better. And the reason that when 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 Sads got injured, you know, relatively speaking. Dion was really expensive, you know, I'm not going to tell you what it was, but, you know, you could have bought a player for what, you know... He's he obviously, for those who won't know, he was on loan, so he's obviously you're saying his wages. Villa, and it was not just his, not just his wages, but Villa demanded a, a, like a, a loan fee. Oh, know, really? Combined, combined with his, his wages made it really expensive. So, Dion and I had a conversation, and I remember Theo saying, look, what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is we don't get promoted. Well, we, we stay in the playoffs. You know, we get in the playoffs. The fans get the, the thrill of the playoffs. And, you know, it, it's worth it just for that. If we get promoted, then it's a no-brainer. You know, the, 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 the win-lose ratio, you know, sort of is, is huge. If we don't get promoted, it's not going to bust us. You know, we're not going to break the bank if we don't get promoted by what we pay to get mm. here. And it gives us a chance. So... We, we agreed that the, as expensive as it was, it was well worth the punt. So Theo backed me completely on that one, and uh, he, he nearly did it for us, Dion. Mm. Yeah, so at the end of that, obviously, we didn't go up. Lost in the playoffs to Birmingham. What was your chat at the end of that season then with Theo going forward again for the next well, season? What was the ambition? You got There's a lot of happened before that, I remember. Because remember the night of the Birmingham game, there was the riots. Yeah, yeah. And that was catastrophic. I mean, that was just, I mean, as bad as losing in the um, the playoffs was. And, you know, you know it, go back again, because I think the punters are interested in the football as well as the, the, the other thing. I mean, the, the actual game itself, I felt as if we'd done, we played all right. I expected us to play better than we did. I expected after the first game that we'd have blown them away. I expected mm. us to go and battle them. And it didn't quite work out like that, you know. Steve Bulls, eh, Steve Bruce's uh, tactics that night, the, the 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 major tactic they played that night, which is probably as master a stroke as anybody has ever played against me in my whole managerial career, was put a centre half against Timmy Cahill in midfield. Right, Timmy, as you know, in the air is just sensational, and he put him in there just to compete with Timmy in the air. You know, just upset him. In a sense, it kind of, it kind of neutralised Timmy a wee bit, and mm-hmm. Timmy was quite as effective in the game as he might have been. So it was a masterstroke by Steve Bruce to put a centre half against Tim Cahill. Mm-hmm. You know, it showed you the respect that they had for him. So we didn't quite achieve the level of performance that that um, that uh, we hoped for, but. You know, with you know five minutes to go, and this is something that I've, I've, it's still I still relive this five minutes over and over and over in my head to this day, um, and that is that I was going to put Chopper on, and I thought I put him on now, or did I put him on uh, an extra, extra time? Yeah. So I thought right, I put him on extra time, right? So I let it run, and of course, they scored. Stone John, yeah. You know, 
and the rest, nothing we could do about it. It was too late, you know. Yeah. Not, not getting chopper on the, was a decision that, you know, uh, sometimes wonder about, you know. Mm. Uh, but uh, we didn't we didn't play as well as we, we, we had hoped we would. Yeah. And obviously you said afterwards, all, all, the, all the carnage oh. afterwards. What, what affected that of on you as, as a manager and, you know, the conversations that you and Theo had? Because that, that obviously affected the whole structure of the club, not just the, the goings on on the pitch. Well, I mean, you know, uh, it was it was horrendous and it was back to that, uh, you know, Millwall's reputation and all that, you know, and we knew that at the heart of it weren't Millwall fans, you know. Um, the whole thing had been orchestrated, you know, there'd been all these flatbed trucks with tarpaulins with half bricks parked around the place and, you know, it was all prearranged, you know. Um, to have a go at the police as much as, you know, it was nothing to do with rivalry between fans, it was to do with uh, head cases and not cases wanting to have a, a battle with the police. Mm. And, you know, therefore, it, it was a, it was ter- ter- tremendously difficult for Theo. They wanted to shut the club down. Now, people should not be in any doubt that it was possible at that point that they would not have got a licence to have a professional football club at the end of the following season. You know, that was entirely real. Mm. It, it, it was all over, you know. Um, Theo had to work double hard to, with the council, with the police, with the authority to make sure that we survived that. But it had a huge impact on our finances and we had to introduce the card scheme. I mean, I think you'll see that the average crowd that season was up to something like 17,000 or 15, 16,000. And the following season, it was a way down again, and it wasn't mm-hmm. pitch. It was because of, um, you know, the card scheme and identity scheme that was forced to introduce. So there was all of that season before. We'd had the ITV money. There was so, in a sense, the wheels started to come off a wee bit because of that night. Mm. We had the riot. It's all sorts of issues to deal with. Um, Do you think at that point Theo might have started to think? This is starting to become a little bit more aggravation than it's worth for me. Definitely, definitely, because he'd done a magnificent job getting us to where we were, and you know, and you know, remember, uh, you know, the sort of reputation that uh, you know the club had. You know, Theo is, you know, you know, took all of that on and backed everybody in it. You know, so it was a kick in the teeth. It was a mm. huge, huge kick in the teeth for for Theo. And he, he, he definitely would have questioned, you know, whether it should go on or not, but he did. But it changed things. There's no doubt about it. It changed things. The whole dynamic of the place was undermined by, by that. The momentum that we had gained um, and should have went on into the next season with to get promoted. Yeah. Should, it should have been a brilliant time, everyone buzzing again, but that probably definitely cast a shadow. It did. Yeah. Um, the first player of that very good young bunch we, we've spoken depth about, one we haven't mentioned, to leave the club, Stephen Reid was sold to Blackburn Rovers. Again, was that was that the start of you know the ITV Digital and then the beginning of the end? You think? Yeah, a little, think, bit, a little bit of money back into the system. Yeah, you know, I think at that point Theo was starting to think of a kind of exit strategy. You know, he'd already thought, right, I'm not going to abandon it. I'm not just going to walk away. But it started to put a kind of time on it, you know, and sort of decide mm. that um, he had to rationalise a wee bit and get it 
under control and that, uh, you know, he had to look for other ways of financing it other than just putting it in his own pocket. So, um, you know, he started to be prepared instead of buying Jackie Elk and Tong and players like that. We started selling Lucas Neal and Stephen Reid and people like that. Mm. Reedy was a great player. I mean, a tremendous athlete. You know, I know the boys say it as well. As good a ball striker as I've ever seen. You know, he absolutely hammered it. You know, um, <laughs> uh, I've never seen a boy strike the ball like it. Really, to be honest, you know. So mm. we knew he was going to be. Uh, he was going to go on and, and, and do well. Did um, so what happened? Did Theo come to you and say, "Look, people in for Stephen Reid, and we're going to have to sell him"? Did you put up a fight for that one, or it is what it is? To be honest, I, I can't really remember. You know, I, no. I, I've always been very in tune with the kind of corporate circumstance. You know, so I, I would, I, I would, I had enough information about the circumstance at the time to know whether it was something that needed to be done or something that was had to be done. Yeah, necessary. So I, I wouldn't have. In, unless there was a legitimate reason for me to uh, have reason to think, no, no, we don't have to do this, we shouldn't do this. Mm-hmm. I wish I had a, dug my heels in and I would have stood mm-hmm. my But sometimes you've got to go with the flow a wee bit because all that had happened. It was real. You know, we nearly got shut down. We had lost the money. We suddenly had the card scheme and the, 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 the season ticket numbers were down. And the income was down, you know. <clears throat> so... We all had to be realistic, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, a player that we did get in that season on a free transfer, Dennis Wise. Yeah, brilliant signing for the club. Yeah, Dennis. You know, Dennis came in and you know, with huge experience and his um, his reputation, you know, as a as a competitor. Um, it was it was a great signing. What I do feel is that. So, for instance, had Dennis come in the season before, the season when we were trying to get, you know, promoted, then maybe it would made a difference. You know, it might have made a difference. You know, the same as Sands. Um, It might have made a difference. But he came in in a season where things are starting to get more difficult, you know. And uh, he wasn't entirely able to bring all the influence that he could have done. You know, I, I felt it was a difficult time for him to come. Um, but, you know, I, I said it already, him and Clary, he's two of the fittest players you've ever seen and attitude-wise, you know, I, I you know, I never had a never had a day's problem with Dennis. You know, Dennis was a good signing for the club and we all enjoyed having him there. Yeah, yeah and obviously, obviously you've got young players like Marvin Elliott coming through there as well. So we still, we still had a good squad at that point. I know you say the wheels were coming off sort of behind the scenes, but... <laughs> But we also brought um, Glenn Johnson, you know, and it's funny because it, him coming in coincided with Dennis's arrival. I think it might have been the same day. Mm. You need to think that, but it certainly was thereabouts. And I remember the first morning that Dennis trained, after training, he said to me, he said, who's he? Meaning Glenn Johnson. And I said, well, he's a young lad that I've taken on loan from West Ham. And Dennis said to me, there and then, he says, he's England's next right back. Right. I've seen him one day in training. Jesus. And, you know, that's how good Glenn Johnson was. And it was a bit like that as well. We were still making good decisions, you know, even then. You know, I went to watch the reserve. We used to go to a lot of reserve games. 
<clears throat> and I went to watch him a few times and I phoned Glenn Road and I said, you know, I, I couldn't believe that he wasn't in the West Ham team, to be honest. I thought he was good enough then. Yeah. And I said to Glenn, look, Glenn, we would give that boy games. He said, yes, I couldn't believe my luck. So we took him. And of course, he was only there about six weeks and they saw him and suddenly seen him the first team opened their eyes and they took him back. <laughs> well, I mean, Within a year, he was playing for Chelsea, I think, you know, and then he was playing for England, you know. So, uh, we were still making good decisions um, at that time. But Dennis, uh, I remember I remember Dennis saying that, that first morning um, that he thought, that's England's next right back. So, by the end of the 2002-2003 season, again, you know, second season back in the Championship, ninth is, is still a very good finish. Um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, in, in that summer, would have proved to be your last summer at the club. What, what was, you know, what was the ambition of the club in your eyes then going forward for the team? Did you it, know it, it, it was starting to come apart, Billy. You know, yeah. um, Theo had Theo told me that he was having one last year, and then he would be uh, leaving. Yeah, that would have been the two thousand three, two thousand four. Yeah, that was the season I left. Yeah. 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 So, in a sense, what happened as far as me as a manager was concerned is that. Um, of course, we'd had we'd had the tragedy, the absolute tragedy of uh, Ray Harford dying. You know, well, mm. I was in charge there. You know, which was incredibly sad for everybody. You know, the boys loved him. You know, he was like a father figure as mm. well. Coach, he was tremendously popular with everybody. You know, and uh, that was hard for everybody. That was hard for me. It was hard for everyone. And then we went into that, into that season, obviously, and it just wasn't the same. You know, I had kind of not entirely lost my mojo, but I kind of... There's, there's a lot of big factors there with the, with the money with, from the ITV, the riots and then Ray dying. Exactly, you know, yeah. it, it was all kind of a wee bit of a downward spiral rather than the upward spiral that we had experienced yeah. up up to the Birmingham game, you know. So, yeah, um, there was a sort of inevitability about it, you know. You know these things as a manager, these things happen. So, you know, we plugged away and we tried to kind of make it work and tried to get it back, but it wasn't really happening, you know. And then I had a kind of bit of a kind of crisis meeting one Sunday at Theo's house where I said to him, like, you know, Theo had started to kind of, not, not encroach, but, it started to demand a bit more of a kind of, you know, those those telephone calls where he'd say, what's the team? And I would say the team and he would say, well, you know, you can always change it. Suddenly became a conversation about who was playing and he didn't think and maybe, you know. So it started to, um, it started to kind of, we never, ever fell out, you know, not at all. The relationship started to change a little. It, it did start to change a little bit. The working relationship started to change a little bit. And I felt as if I was being pressurised or, you know, sort of um, expected to do certain things that weren't comfortable with and decisions that, you know. So in the end, we had a bit of a head-to-head and I was calling it a day there and then. And, but, you know, he'll say, look, you know, you know, fair to him, he said, look, I'll back off. I realise I've been kind of a bit full on because, you know, he knew he was going to be getting out at the end of that year, he thought he was. 
his plan and he, he wanted it. He just was hanking for a bit more influence, you know. Probably because so, you could probably see things, you know, on a little bit of a downward. He probably just wanted to put, have his input to try and lift it again, you know. Whatever he, whatever he did, he did for the right reasons. Don't worry yeah. about that. So um, then uh, we decided to get on with it. You know, look, you know, let's go on with it, see what happens. And then two weeks later or something, we played Preston in the, the midweek and we lost 1 0, I think. Mm. And uh, I went up to the boardroom and it just wasn't happening, you know. It wasn't happening. The and bubble I, burst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and he, he kind of accepted that, and we kind of had a glass of wine, and and he said to me, he says, "What do you think I should do?" And I said, "Well, the only thing you can do for Saturday," I said, "I think is put Dennis in charge." I said, "What you do beyond that?" I said, "Up to you." I said, "But there's nobody else at the club that you would trust to, you know." take over the reins and he's perfectly placed. So I had a you know a big say in that, you know, so um Well that's good. I, I was quite relaxed about that, you know. So it's not good that you're leaving the club. What I meant was I always wondered, because obviously we don't find out a lot of backroom stuff, you brought Wise in as a player, then he ends up yeah. taking over. You know you would always wonder, was there anything Yeah, there was sneaky little bastard, do you know what I mean? But obviously not you you say you put the you it's put not, the motion for that. It's not impossible that at some point before that, that uh, Theo could have had a conversation with Dennis. Mm. Yeah, that's not impossible, you know, mm. but it has no bearing on whether I stayed or went, and it has no bearing on my feelings about whether Dennis took over from me or not, you know. Mm. It was what it was, you know what I mean? The situation had changed. I was inevitably, I was going to leave. Mm. So it was no problem to me. So um, we left on great terms. Um, so did you tell? Did you discuss it with the ball before you told the players? No, no, no. There were, that night after the game, we shook hands and I was. I, I left. You know, we agreed. He agreed. Uh, you know, he was going to pay me whatever I was. You know, right. Uh, you know, I pay off and with my contract and. No problems, and I I went that that day. So so the day after the Preston game, you're in the dressing room. So your mind was was your mind made up then? I wasn't in the dressing room the Preston after the day after. But I was never in the dressing room again. I don't think. No, the night of the game when we lost to Preston. Yeah. Full time, you go in. The players are waiting for their their obviously bollocking or whatever. Yeah, and I told them you know like we lost obviously, and you have the usual team talk. I don't remember the detail. Oh, but you didn't mention that you know that was going to be it. Oh, well, I didn't know it was going to be it. Oh, you did. Oh, so you you, you were sacked. Sorry, I've, I thought you, the way you said it was like sort of a mutual. Yeah, well, it, it was. It was. Uh, it was. You know, there's a, there's a sort of legal position which is actually better if you get sacked. Yeah. So um, yeah, I was sacked, um, but I was happy to go. Time mm. for me to go. I'd used all my tricks. I had played all my cards. Everything that went on, I had no more answers, you know, yeah. from at that time. So it was right that I I, I left. left. Mm. Um, so I had no no issues with that. And Theo, as I say, was different class in terms of, you know, the severance and all that. You know, he was honest. As he, you know, one thing about Theo Perfias is he's honest, he's loyal, he's generous. 
you know, he's all of those things, you know, and he's some of the things that make him a great chairman, that made him a great mm-hmm. chairman. And it's one of the reasons why I think, um, my understanding is there's a lot of people work for Theo at his businesses now for a long time. You know, and people don't do that unless they're working for somebody that they have some sort of, uh, you know, relationship with, you know. So, yeah. you know, that says a lot about him, you know. So, yeah, I left and, uh, and that was the end of, uh, of that. Um, but you know, you know, what a fantastic experience. Mm. You know, still treasure it as one of my best experiences as a manager. Um, still love going back there. I've obviously followed Chopper, you know, closely and Western success all the way, Wildham success, if you like, you know, and them success. So, you know, I've kept an interest there. Brilliant. Well, listen, Mark, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, brilliant memories. The players speak very highly of you, and I thought you was a brilliant manager for us. So really appreciate your time, mate. Thank, thank you. Thanks. And, you know, I just take the opportunity in this lockdown time and all that to wish all the Millwall fans well and just to say stay well and uh, look after themselves. And they will eventually be football again and we can all get, get back to the den. Fingers crossed, mate. Thanks a lot, Mark. Thank you. Yes. Bye-bye. 